As I look out on the horizon this time of year, it's as if a large percentage of the world is on fire. No, no, I'm not talking about the political scene. Um, Actually, you know, things have kind of, I mean, compared to how they've been in the last several years, have been fairly quiet here lately. I'm sure as we approach another election, though, that things will, will fire up again. But that's not the kind of fire I'm talking about. Okay, I'm talking about CRP burns, or maybe you could also just say habitat burns, grassland burns, uh, prescribed fire, um, uh, controlled burn, whatever the term is, right? They're going on all over the place right now. Uh, And here in Iowa, things are no different. And uh, if you aren't really familiar as to what's going on with that, maybe you've seen the smoke or maybe you've driven by at night and you've seen somebody who's a nighttime burner. You've seen these giant flames sweeping across the landscape wondering what on earth is going on. I know I had a moment like that before I really knew what burning was all about years ago. But that's what the topic is going to be tonight. We're going to talk about burning, controlled burns, prescribed fire. It is a necessary component to a healthy uh, prairie landscape. And uh, I know this isn't my work podcast, but it definitely pertains to hunting because a little buzzword that all hunters throw around. In fact, it was a hunter that I learned this term from is CRP. There's CRP grass over there in the CRP. If you look out across the CRP, you know, you just hear it over and over again. What on earth are people talking about when they say CRP? Well, you can pretty much have zero ideas to what the C, the R, and the P actually mean. But if you hear people reference it enough, maybe on hunting TV, maybe one of your uh, hunting buddies who's been hunting longer than you have, whatever it is, you'll start to learn that it's a, it's a term that is associated with tall grasses. Uh, not just your little uh, ankle-high stuff or knee-high stuff. It's, it's associated with, really, wildlife habitat. Uh, more specifically, in uh, recent years, CRP could really be synonymous with a couple terms. Could be synonymous with prairie, could be synonymous with native grasses, um, but uh, in, since its inception, uh, CRP used to be known as the Set-Aside Program, and it was just this federal funding program through the Farm Bill that would pay farmers to leave some of their acres unfarmed. And uh, the reason for that is to uh, promote better water quality, lessen the amount of, of uh, soil erosion, and uh, also provide habitat um, for uh, wildlife and uh, insects, especially pollinators, and also to uh, create better air quality, pulls carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere, right? So there's all sorts of reasons for why farmers are paid for this. And what that program now stands for, it's no longer called the Set-Aside Program, it's called the CRP, uh, Conservation Reserve Program is what that stands for, okay? So when you hear people talking about burning their CRP off, now you know what they're talking about. They're talking about government-subsidized acres, or not even subsidized, government-leased acres would be a better way of saying it. Um, Not leased in the terms of like somebody leasing crop ground, one farmer renting crop ground from another one, 
Um, it doesn't even give the federal government as much leeway as what that does for, uh, you know, your, your traditional farm ground leasing practices. So you don't have to worry about if you enroll in CRP that any person, because they're a taxpayer, gets to come hunt your acres. That's not how it works, uh, thankfully. Otherwise, nobody would do it. Um, but uh, what CRP does is it gives farmers uh, money to not farm those acres. Okay, so now you know what, now you know what CRP is all about. So let's let's talk about the burning side of that. Okay, um, the reason I want to talk about this is because uh, many of you probably know I work within this realm now. Now I, I'm not going to sit here and tell you I have all kinds of experience with this. I've done a fair amount of burning in a short amount of time. And so I probably, my burning experience is probably a little bit more than the average uh, land, you know, owner that has some, some uh, ground that they want to introduce fire to. Um, but nowhere near what some of the, you know, there's guys that is their job. They go around and do prescribed burns for people. And so I'm not speaking to you from the standpoint of an expert, but more so a educated lay person who is becoming an expert and gets to rub shoulders with experts, experts on this topic all the time. Okay. So if you're going to be doing a CRP burn, uh, for your hunting property or your farm that you own, um, you need to start with when is the right time to do it? And there's a couple ways to answer that question. Okay. First of all, we can answer that question by, uh, saying, well, the time is when you have the time and that's partly true. Okay. Uh, one of the reasons I think I've been seeing so much burning going on right now is because we're almost to planting season. I believe right around April 10th every year is when farmers, are allowed to uh, plant uh, and still be able to uh, get their crops insured uh, without planting too early. So that would be uh, um, <clears throat> one factor here to consider. The other part of that is you have to have the right conditions. So not only the time available, but the right weather conditions. It can't be super windy. Um, and it can't be too dry and there certainly can't be a burn ban going on in your county or township or whatever. Uh, so you need to make sure that you, you, uh, take those things to factor in. Now, if you are not, if you do not have your back against the wall for having to be out there in the field and planting or whatever, or have something else going on and you know that the weather should be decent for the next little while, I'm going to advise you to wait to burn until uh, the very end of April or uh, even into May. And the reason for that is this. Most, not all, but most native grasses uh, and flowers for that matter, but especially grasses when you're talking about hunting habitat, are warm season grasses. They do not uh, come out of dormancy from the year before until, oh, June, July. That's really when they start start growing, okay? Late May, that might even be a little bit better timeline. Um, that's when those grasses start to burn. On the contrast, or on the flip side of that, 
cool season grasses, a lot of the invasive grasses that were planted with original set-aside program allowances where they didn't have a real, uh, you know, ton of guidelines for trying to get people to plant only natives. They allowed for farmers to plant these invasive cool season grasses like reed canary grass, smooth brome, Kentucky blue, these grasses that um, do have maybe some value, but not near as much value as native grasses. Um, they were allowed to be seeded down and they are actually adapted to cooler weather and they will sprout up first. And that can be a big problem for your native uh, grasses because they can dominate. They can take up all of the surface uh, resources, all the nutrients, all the water, and uh, even a lot of the sunlight. And so um, you want to try and burn later so that all those cool season grasses have started to green up. And then when you hit them with fire, you can knock them back. It's probably not going to kill them, but what it's going to do is it's going to give your warm season grasses more of an opportunity to get a head start on the cool season grasses, okay, instead of the other way around. So all the burning that I see going on right now, their heart is in the right place. And, and like I said, it could just be because they're farmers and they have, they got to be more concerned with planting coming up here and they won't have time to burn. But, and this is just the latest they could wait. But if they can, in fact, wait longer, they should. Okay, so that's the first point I want to talk about. The time of year is perfect. So here in, at, at my latitude, now if you're down in Missouri or um, Arkansas or you know somewhere that's warmer than where I'm at right now in kind of a Midwestern-y type of state, Kentucky would be another good one. Um, even Indiana, um, you might want to burn maybe that last week of April instead, or even the, the week before that, because your green up is a little bit earlier than where I'm at. And on the flip side of that, if you're all the way up in like Minnesota or South or North Dakota or Wisconsin or uh, Michigan or something like that, then you might want to actually wait another week or so into May. You know, just kind of follow that 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 green up. You know, learn to identify what those cool season grasses are that I mentioned and be able to identify them and hit them with fire. Now, once you're burning, you got to have the right conditions, okay? I'm going to say right now, don't anybody quote me on this episode. I know that sounds like I shouldn't even be talking about it. I, I, I have done uh, quite a few uh, successful burns, but I don't want to be liable for you burning down your uh, truck or your house or something like that. So definitely check with, you know, other experts in the area. These, this is just some... Uh, some layman's advice here, okay? But definitely make sure the weather conditions are right. If it's super windy, do not burn. Wind will take that that fire out of the strip of CRP you're trying to burn and it'll jump it over to another one. It'll jump it into a cornfield or jump it somewhere that you do not want it to be going, okay? So make sure it's not windy. It also needs to be fairly moist. Like if you have had rain within the last few days, that's awesome. That's that's great. That's perfect. Okay. Now at the same time, if you got a burn that's coming due, 
And you kind of have to maybe look at burning in some not so ideal conditions. I've been there before. Then you're going to have to make some other modifications, okay? So here's some other modifications you can do. You can start by mowing down that stand of CRP before you burn it. When the grass is standing up tall and there's plenty of space for air to get to that flame and keep that flame fed with oxygen, um, uh, it can move a lot faster. But when that's all knocked down and it's uh, the fire can't uh, get fed so uh, easily, um, then the fire will move much more slowly. And so that could be a good thing you could do. Okay, another thing that... Uh, we do at Hoxie is if there's a part that we want to be kind of our cutoff line for our, our burn, we will actually go by with a hose and a big tank of water and we will just douse a line uh, across the area where we do not want the fire to cross. Okay, now if the fire is really, really hot and moving really, really fast, it might just evaporate that water and just keep on rolling. So it's not a guaranteed stop, but it definitely helps. And I've definitely seen it work in that way. The other thing you need to do is what is called back burning. Okay. So if you got an area that you are going, you definitely don't want the fire to go past. You could start by burning that area first. This would be like an area that is, um, usually, um, uh, downwind, of where you're going to eventually like quote unquote start but before you get to your starting point there uh do burn like a strip at the very end of where that fire is working to fire needs fuel okay and so it's got to have oxygen and it's got to have <clears throat> something to oxidize with that oxygen and that would be the cellulose in the the plant material okay so either you can take oxygen away and that'll put a fire out or you can take the heat away and you can spray it with water or you can take away the thing that it is uh oxidizing okay the other chemical agent involved and so the back burn is what does that. It takes away all the fuel. It already burns it up. It already reacts with the oxygen. And it's not going to burn anymore. So you can back burn. You can look up videos on how to do that. In fact, uh, the Hoxie YouTube channel has a great video on how to burn and how to use the wind. Uh, if it is a little bit breezy out, how to use the wind the right way so you don't lose control of your fire. But definitely look up how to do a proper back burn. Uh, to help prevent that fire from jumping where you don't want it to. And here's another big tip. If you have access to a disc, like a disc that you pull behind your tractor, okay, um, I would recommend if you have to burn next to a cornfield especially, that you go ahead and do a pass around the edge of that field with your disc, okay, and just turn it into mud. Corn stalks burn like you wouldn't believe. And the fire works its way towards kind of the core of those stalks. And when you try and spray it with water, it's like a shield that keeps the water from getting to the heat source and putting it out. And so you've got to make sure that you don't let that fire jump into your cornfield. 
as I like to say, most of the corn that we grow here in Iowa is to be turned into ethanol. Ethanol, obviously, is an alcohol-based fuel source that we use to power our vehicles. It's basically gasoline. You don't want to get fire under gasoline, right? So uh, do that disking, do that backburning, and of course, once again, and maybe even uh, use some water. Um, there's different ways you can do that. You can get like a sprayer tank to pull around behind your four-wheeler or UTV. Um, you could uh, also uh, get a trash pump and set that up in a creek if you're burning next to a creek, and then get like a big fire hose and just have that fire hose uh, filled with water and, and wetting down the area that you don't want to get burned. There's different ways you could do that, okay? Then, um, after you've done all this prep work, you've made the sure it's the right time of year, you made sure you got the right burning conditions, the last thing you're going to need are the right tools for doing the burn, okay? Now, uh, if you have access to a drip torch, I've never actually used a drip torch. I've simulated it with other things um, from, you know, building a torch out of rags and uh, diesel fuel to um, hooking up a propane uh, torch uh, uh, to uh, and just putting that on the back of a golf cart and cruising around and lighting the fire with that so you can get a nice even uh uh, flame going, um, or, uh, um, you, you can just kind of go around with a little lighter, uh, like a little grill lighter, but that's going to be pretty frustrating for you most likely. And it's pretty hard to get a good burn going that way. So if you can have access to a drip torch, I believe that is the best method um, that I've seen others talk about. Okay. But then you also not, you don't just need something to get the fire going. You need something to manage the fire as it is going and i found that if you're going to be doing a boots on the ground burn meaning that there, there's a lot of walking around and and walking up to the, the the flame and making sure it's not burning into the corn and stuff like that i recommend getting a big old scoop shovel big old aluminum or steel scoop shovel um, if you live on a farm chances are there's an old one sitting around somewhere in a shed somewhere those things are awesome because you can smother uh, the flame really well. They do actually make some prescribed burning um, uh, smother tools that are kind of like a mud flap, like a rubber mud flap attached to a, 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 a stick. And you basically just slap that mud flap down on your flame and smother it. That works too, but the scoop shovel is a little bit easier to find. And I have just, that is my favorite tool to use. It just works so slick to uh, uh, extinguish flames that I need to no longer uh, be have burning. So get the right tool on that. Um, you could also get like a backpack sprayer so you can carry water around on your back. And if, you know, you got something that has just got so much heat that, you're not really able to smother it very well. You can always stand at a distance and uh, water it down with a backpack sprayer and, uh, you know, get that get that uh, flame put out as quickly and safely as possible. As far as anything else, I mean, you know, just be smart. Wear the right safety gear. Wear gloves. 
wear long sleeves so you don't get ashes on you and stuff. Safety glasses or sunglasses would be great. Maybe even wear a mask if you're, you know, it does get pretty dusty and smoky while you're burning. So um, if you need like a, you know, N95 or something like that, if you you have like asthma or you're sensitive to breathing in dust or whatever, take that into consideration as well. But for the most part, it's, it's kind of that simple. Okay. Make sure you have plenty of help when you're burning. Burning, in my opinion, is never a one man job. There's always something that can get out of control and can get out of control very quickly on you. And so the, your only hope then is to have enough people there to help you, um, do what is needed to be done to get, that fire back under control. So make sure you have help. Okay. And it's also not a bad idea to notify the fire department that you're going to be burning first because uh, they'll otherwise get their phone ringing off the hook from every neighbor saying, Hey, there's a huge fire over there. Okay. So make sure you tip them off. And the other side of that is they, they're going to know, okay, this person's out there burning uh, off their CRP acres. There's a good chance that things might not go well and they're going to have to call us. Okay. And it helps with that response time and keep things from getting as bad as they could be. But I don't want to scare you though. As I said, it's a pretty simple process is absolutely needed for a prairie to be really healthy for a stand of, of native grass that you want for bedding cover or a screen to get to your tree stand or, or just better a fawning cover or whatever it is. So you can raise the deer population on your farm Whatever the reason is, fire has to be used every once in a while to keep it as healthy as it can be and therefore as useful um, uh, for your purposes, which may just simply be better habitat for butterflies and bees, or maybe it's so you can it can help you kill a giant buck in the fall. Uh, you're going to have to be doing fire, running fire through that those acres to keep it as healthy and useful and maximized as as possible. So it's needed. Make sure you uh, you know talk with like a, a biologist near you. Go over to your NRCS office, ask them about it. FSA office, talk to a Pheasants Forever uh, biologist or a Quail Forever biologist near you. They will be able to point you in the right direction of the people that can help you right there in your neck of the woods. But that's what I have for you for this episode of Picking Bones. A little bit different. I know it's kind of a monologue, but I thought it was something that could be really useful for this time of the year. Um, Please remember this podcast is presented by Spartan Forge. Spartan Forge is an excellent whitetail-focused mapping uh, service, but whitetails aren't going to be the only thing for long. Uh, the company's continuing to grow, and there's going to be more exciting news coming with that. Uh, there's definitely uh, a lot going on with uh, the value of the app to be used by Western hunters as well. Um, but uh, I, I use Spartan Forge, I'm not kidding you, pretty much every day. Okay, I use it all the time. It's such a useful tool, and I really think if you got it on your device, you would see that as well. So make sure you check out Spartan Forge. You can find a link for them in my link tree or in these show notes. And then make sure you check out my other sponsor, good old Alex Gruen from East to West Hunts. Alex can get you planning on that dream hunting trip, whatever it may be. Alex will get it done for you. Okay. He is the guy to talk to. So make sure you head over to eastwesthunts.com. Use that promo code FIRSTGEN10 and Alex will get you set up with 
everything that you need. So that's pretty much it for this episode of Picking Bones. And until uh, next time, you need to make sure you reach out to me if you got anything you want me to talk about on Picking Bones or any questions about anything. I'd be happy to help you or, uh, you know, that's just good to hear from you too. So make sure you do that. Make sure you leave a five-star review for the show if you haven't yet. And until next time, take care and take someone hunting.